Hello, and welcome to the My Care Champion Cast. I'm your host, Lucicia Matero, Director of Communications at the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. This month's episode is the first of many that you'll see the tagline, Hospitals Help, a content series we'll use across channels in the coming months to uplift the stories of how Michigan hospitals go above and beyond for their communities, both inside and outside of the traditional healthcare setting. With that in mind, and with National Rural Health Day landing on November 16th, it's only fitting that we focus today's discussion on the community benefit of one of our rural members, Munson Healthcare. For those who don't know, Munson is based out of Traverse City and serves 540,000 residents across 29 counties, making it Northern Michigan's largest healthcare system. To help me with today's discussion, I'm very excited to have two leaders from our MHA Small and Rural Hospital Council here in studio. The first guest I'll introduce is our council chair, Peter Marinoff, who is president and CEO of Munson Healthcare's Southern Region which includes Munson Healthcare Cadillac Hospital, Manistee Hospital, and Paul Oliver Memorial Hospital in Frankfurt. Peter has been with Munson since 1999, working closely with leaders across the system to advance both strategic and operational goals. Peter, thank you for being here and welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for having me today. We also have my colleague and our Small and Rural Council Staff Secretary, Lauren Lapine, who is Senior Director of Legislative and Public Policy here at the MHA. Lauren has been with the MHA since 2021 and also oversees our Behavioral Health Integration Council and Public Health Task Force. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Human Biology, a Master of Public Health, and is also currently working towards a doctorate in public health. Lauren, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Lucy. Well, I'd love if each of you could start the conversation just by giving our our listeners an idea of what led you to your current roles and Um, Maybe a little bit about what a day in your life looks like. I know, Peter, you're running three hospitals, so your days are probably much busier than most. But if you want to start there, that'd be great. Uh, They pretty much run themselves. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. Um, So a little background. So I'm an accountant by trade, um, and I did accounting for months in healthcare, uh, the corporate services, and then had an opportunity really to go into operations and from operations, just really fell in love with being in the hospitals and being a part of the team. So from there, I just uh, worked my way through to uh, chief operating officer, then president of one of the smaller hospitals, then president of Cadillac to where I am today, which is the president of the South region. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just been a love of being able to work with everybody and to be on the floor with people. You don't want me treating patients, but <laughs> it, it is it has been really cool to be there with the team. That's amazing. And where are you originally from? Uh, outside of Washington, D.C. Oh, so Manassas, okay. Virginia, started the Civil War. little oh. uh, history buff <laughs> yeah. there. So yeah, it's, it's been great. So it was a rural area originally mm. before everything really kind of expanded out of Washington, D.C. south. Yeah. So when did you move over to Michigan? About 19, I think 1998 is when I moved oh, to Northern okay. Michigan. So just before you started at Munson. I did. And I moved there in November and oh. I had no idea what snow was. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget. Uh, so I worked for an accounting firm there and I woke up and there was six inches of snow on the ground mm. because there were these things called lake effect snow showers. <laughs> right. And so I was like, I can't believe it snowed this much. And I went back to bed and the office called. And they said, are you okay? You didn't show up for work today. I'd been there for a week. And I said, you guys go to work in the snow? And 
And she said, oh, you poor deer, you're going to have a long winter. Yeah. And I thought, oh, man. So I had to adjust. Yeah, Michigan winter is one thing, but Michigan winter in rural Michigan is like a separate yeah. thing. It's, it was fascinating. Have so, you gotten used to it, though? I have. So I'm, I'm much better about it now. But that first winter... Um, it was shocking when I got passed by a snowmobile on the road. <laughs> yeah. It was a road. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. That's amazing. Well, we're so happy to have you here. Um, Lauren, do you want to give some background on where you came from and what led to your role at MHA? I know we joined around the same time. Mm -hmm. so Yeah, happy to. Um, so I have been at the MHA for uh, a short time compared to some of my colleagues who have been here for, for decades. Um, I came uh, to the MHA in 2021. I'd been working for about six years at another local um, organization, the Michigan Public Health Institute. Um, my background is pretty squarely in the public health space. Um, so jumping over to kind of the, the health policy space was relatively new for me. Mm -hmm. I was hired at the time to be the director of small and rural hospitals and policy programs. So to really work solely with our small and rural members and make sure that they have a really strong voice across the association. And that role has evolved. I still am our lead for um, small and rural issues, but also have now uh, kind of expanded and uh, coordinate a, a number of our, our policy issues. So my true day-to-day -day work is getting to have the opportunity to collaborate and hear from members all across our state, mm -hmm. um, whether that's our freestanding inpatient um, psych hospitals or driving to some of the most rural areas of our state um, to visit with our, our rural hospitals and their um, CEOs. Born and raised in East Lansing, Michigan, so I went to um, MSU for both undergrad and grad school and uh, have had a chance to really get to know a, a number of different organizations and partners in the downtown area over that time. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's wonderful to work with you. So I'm so glad Thanks, you can Lucy. be here. I paid you to say that. <laughs> um, so I do want to ask each of you, why rural? I know that um, we're going to talk about it later in the episode, but rural healthcare faces a lot of really unique challenges. And the landscape of rural is very different than urban, you know, mm -hmm. in the healthcare setting. So what gravitated you to this line of work? Lauren, I'll start with you. Um, if, if you just want to build on what you were sharing about your history mm -hmm. and what led you here, why why the rural healthcare space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that, that you already touched on that I really like about working in the, the rural kind of health policy space is that there are so many unique issues um, that tie into um, rural healthcare and really healthcare access. So given my public health background, I'm really interested in the social determinants of health um, and the role that those play on someone's long-term health and well-being. Mm -hmm. um, so in rural areas, you get to dive into a lot of those issues. So the um, the impacts of transportation on your availability to access healthcare services, mm -hmm. the, the impacts just on your general access to care, how far away your local hospital or health system might be and a number of other other issues. On a kind of personal side, uh, my entire family is from the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, oh. both on my, uh, my mom and my dad's side. And even before I started working at the MHA, every time we'd be home for holidays, there'd always be a conversation about the, the local hospital or um, changes that were being made, just given the fact that the UP is so close to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And uh, the number of, of family members that I had that would, um, that would travel long distances to get to, to access care. Um, and so I was passionate about um, rural health care because that's where all of my family goes to get their care. Mm -hmm. I might live in a in an urban area um, in the, the Lansing area and have access to a number of hospitals and health systems. Um, but in the UP, you're you're 
pretty far from your from your nearest hospital. Right. And so I was passionate about that from kind of a, a family perspective mm-hmm. um, as well. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is part of my role is um, truly trying to meet with all of our rural, smaller rural hospital um, executives once a year. And that is probably one of my favorite parts of my job because it's one thing to talk to lawmakers at our downtown Capital Advocacy Center about issues, but to be able to visit and see the hospital and see the patients that are being cared for and mm. have conversations with people like Peter and other members of our small and rural hospital council, that's really what makes the work important. Right. Um, and it makes some of the more mundane issues that we might work on in the policy space a whole lot more meaningful right. um, when you can see how those things are playing out, not just in hospitals, but in the the surrounding communities that hospitals serve. Right. Well, I think the theme that we see across the board when we talk to rural members and just people that work in the rural health space is they have that personal tie. And I didn't realize that you had mm-hmm. family in the Upper Peninsula, but that fits the theme of what we've, we've heard across the board. So, Peter, I know you mentioned you have history living in rural parts of the country, but what drew you to rural health care? Specifically, I well, you know, I, I think Lauren talked about it where she used the word meaningful, mm. and so, you know, I, I think about and and it's not to say that you can't have meaningful interactions anywhere, right? right. But I've just grown to really love. Um, again, I was r- raised in more of a rural environment. Uh, Manassas at one point had more cows than people in it. I'm just <laughs> saying. Humans. You know, that's not the um, first time we've heard yeah, this on fact. the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, I, but that was a long time ago. And but I really enjoyed growing up in that environment, and it, it was it was um, again meaningful relationships that you had there. And then now you can kind of see those those impacts and and their deeper impacts, and not just shape the the life of one person, but it's life of really many right. in, in these areas. And so it's great to be able to be a part of something that helps keep the fabric of those communities strong, and uh, it's very rewarding. Absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about how Munson Healthcare is helping their community. But first, Lauren, I I do want to give our listeners a little bit more background on the Small and Rural Hospital Council, if you can provide maybe just the purpose of it and also the history of its start, if you have that information or you want to share a little bit about how it came to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, happy to. So one of the the ways that the MHA is most successful is that we have a a broad array of councils, committees, and task forces that are really comprised of um, experts across the state in one specific area. Um, And we bring those groups together to really help us understand the broader healthcare landscape in Michigan, but also what's occurring nationally. And one of the um, councils that I'm responsible for supporting is that small and rural hospital council. Um, It's one of our larger councils as it's comprised of the vast majority of hospital executives representing um, small and rural hospitals across the state. So that could be our independent hospitals, our critical access hospitals, or some of what we call our mid-sized vital hospitals. We get together on a, a quarterly basis and really talk about the issues that are most uh, pressing in the the rural space across the state, mm-hmm. um, and so our smaller rural council is really with uh, is really tasked with identifying and examining issues that are unique to small and rural providers from both a regulatory and a policy development um, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, what's shared at the small and rural hospital council really informs the policy and the decision making bodies of the of the MHA. We actually have uh, just over 70 small or rural hospitals um, across the state of Michigan. So we have a, a pretty good number out of our 
probably around 130 or so acute care hospitals across the state. A, a good number of those are considered small or rural. So we really use the, the information that the members of that council um, share with us uh, to inform our policy and advocacy spaces. I think one of the most notable ways over the last couple of years, actually before I was at the MHA, um, that we were successful in in leveraging the voices of the, the smaller rural council um, was with some of the legislation that we had passed around um, certified uh, registered nurse anesthetists. Mm-hmm. That's such a mouthful to say. <laughs> yeah, and, CRNA. Yeah, CRNA. <laughs> and that legislative push was really um, developed based on the feedback that we were hearing from our small and rural members mm-hmm. about how challenging it is to recruit and retain anesthesiologists in rural areas. Right. And so we came together and we said, okay, like what can we do um, to try to support that that workforce challenge, given that anesthesiology services are really important mm-hmm. um, uh, in the provision of healthcare, especially from a surgery standpoint, and came together to pass this this legislation to expand the use of CRNAs in um, in areas across our state. So we very much take what's shared at that council and use it to try to um, make positive change that not only benefits our hospitals but also all of the patients and residents in the surrounding areas. Right. Appreciate you providing that background and also an example of mm-hmm. the impactful work that the council is doing. Peter, as our program year chair, what would you say some of your high-level priorities are for the council? So I, I have to give some kudos to Lauren <laughs> and the team because really it, it's not that rural needs are so much different than than what you might find in a suburban or rural area, right. but it, it's really the weight of what happens that has direction change on our hospitals. So what what the council and what she helps to do really is to help kind of marry these things together so we can identify okay this is this is the impact it could have in this in this kind of a hospital and mm-hmm. and really understanding what we're looking at as a whole so i want to just give the team credit there mm-hmm. i think really our high level priorities uh, for the council it's it's really supporting those four pillars of the mha strategic plan so it's the workforce support and innovation mm-hmm. it's the viability behavioral health and then health equity those are those are key things for all hospitals and, and all communities. And so we need to help drive that mission forward. So Lauren, with our Behavioral Health Integration Council, how does the work of that group tie to the work that you do with the rural, small and rural hospital council? That's a good question, Lucy. And one of the examples that I can think of right now, there has been a package of bills introduced to the legislature um, that works to integrate nurse practitioners and physician assistants into Michigan's mental health code and allows them to practice at the top of their license. And I think that that's a good example of an overlap in terms of something that would benefit both our behavioral health system in Michigan as well Mm -hmm. as our small and rural hospital council members because we've heard for many years from our rural hospitals that workforce challenges are our top of mind. And if we can include nurse practitioners and physician assistants in the mental health code, that allows for um, an increased number of providers to provide behavioral health services in a in a community. Mm-hmm. And so we have heard from our behavioral health integration council about the importance of expanding that, that licensure type um, within the mental health code. Um, and we've also heard for many years from our rural hospitals that they're looking for innovative solutions to expand the number of workers that are able to provide um, behavioral health services in in rural areas. So I think that's an example where 
we are are working to kind of benefit both the behavioral health system in our state as well as our our rural hospitals and the um, the residents that they're serving. Right. And we're going to touch on a behavioral health effort that Munson is involved in um, that was featured in our most recent community benefit report. But I do first, Lauren, if you could just share, I know Peter mentioned the pillars that the association is really focused on. Do you think that those issues align with what's top of mind at the national level in rural health? Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's been a, a lot of activity over the last few years at the at the national level as it pertains to to rural hospitals. And I think the four pillars of the MHA action plan that Peter already touched on are still very much top of mind issues across the country. So mm-hmm. workforce um, shortages um, and challenges is a real problem in our rural areas, especially when it comes to um, building the talent pipeline. We have examples across the state um, of rural hospitals that are partnering in innovative ways with local community colleges or universities to build up the the nurse pipeline um, and increase the number of, of nurses that are entering the workforce. Um, we also know that there's, and Peter can speak to this better than I can, but there's unique challenges in rural areas um, when it comes to recruiting and retaining talent. Mm-hmm. Um, housing can be really expensive um, in certain areas of our state or just viable housing stock can be um, challenging to find. Mm-hmm. So trying to recruit people to come to rural areas, like Peter said, where we have a lot of snow that might be <laughs> might not be might not be super appealing. Right. Um, not that, everybody can afford a snowmobile. Right? Yes, this is true. <laughs> yeah, that that can be a real challenge, and we've seen efforts in uh, across the country in different states to try to bolster the the healthcare workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, behavioral health, another one of our pillars, is also very much top of mind uh, in terms of a, a national priority. We've seen the U.S. Uh, Surgeon General come out and talk about loneliness as a, a, a public health crisis. We've heard at the, the national level a variety of different efforts to strengthen behavioral health, whether that be the, the launch of the 988 um, hotline um, or a number of other uh, initiatives. But behavioral health is still very much a, uh, a priority at the national level. Financial sustainability and viability, we have consistently seen Medicaid and Medicare cuts um, in reimbursement. Um, We've seen threats to an incredibly crucial program um, to make sure that uh, residents in rural areas have access to affordable drugs, so the 340B program. We've seen threats to that at the national level um, and are working really hard to to get in front of that at the, the state level. And then the other piece that I would say, um, like Peter mentioned, the MHA is really focused this program year on um, improving health equity um, of the patients that our hospitals are serving um, in rural areas specifically. Access to maternity care at both a national and state level is very much a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of research that's come out recently about the increase in maternity deserts um, where there are fewer and fewer hospitals that are birthing hospitals Mm -hmm. um, or where you can go to um, deliver a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been trying uh, over the last few years, in particular in Michigan, to make sure that our rural hospitals are are strong and viable um, so that we can keep those birthing units online across our state. But that obviously ties into equitable care. Right. And so we want to make sure that those birthing hospitals stay strong across our, across our state. There's a lot of other things going on in the national mm-hmm. space um, specific to rural, but those are just a, a couple that I thought I'd, I'd highlight and Peter can certainly uh, expand on. Yeah. Anything you'd add there, Peter? 
Yeah, no, actually, you covered it all. Or, <laughs> I doubt that. You know, but I, but I mean, no, sir, you know, with the it's interesting with like OB in particular. It's so if you think about it, maternal health, it's not just the the point at which you know a baby is born. Mm-hmm. There's right. there's all the care leading up to that, mm-hmm. and there's all the care after. And so it's making sure that we're providing access to care, and that's really a struggle and a challenge to keep that consistent in some of these rural areas. Mm. I feel you know where I'm from right now. I feel we're pretty fortunate to have those resources in our community, but I know not every community is that lucky. So that that is a big one for me, the the behavioral health. Mm-hmm. I think we also think about, you know, the mental health of our of our own team and some of the challenges that we've faced really since COVID and maybe even before COVID. Um, we had these going on, but it's really working with our teams to keep them uh, healthy and well and and to try to provide the best for them. Mm. The other one I would have in there, and maybe you mentioned it, maybe I just didn't write that down, but aging population. Mm-hmm. And and so what we see, and this is everywhere again, but you know, in, in a rural area, it's how do we help people age in place, but also have facilities designed for if they need to go and, and stay in a facility, then we can have a home-like environment for them available uh, that's reasonably close to maybe loved ones that they have in the community. And that's become a little more challenging. And so with like aging in place, some of that might be actual virtual mm. visits and, and different kinds of capabilities. So it's kind of building up that broadband network that they can have access um, to to have that kind of care. So mm. those would be the only things mm-hmm. I add, but she nailed them all. Yeah, yeah, love that. Well, I appreciate you chiming in. And one of the things that I think comes up a lot when we talk to our rural leaders is as we've talked about, behavioral health issues are kind of amplified when those resources are limited. And we recently featured Munson Healthcare in our 2023 Community Benefit Report, as I mentioned, and a story about your work with the Regional Community Health Opioid Initiative. And Peter, I would just love if you could speak to that program a little bit more and also just how Munson prioritizes community benefit programming. How are you helping your patients before they're in the hospital? How are you helping communities with their overall well-being? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty broad. I mean, I'll start with the with the the program itself. So the this is the Regional Community Health Opioid uh, Initiative. So it's it's really for people with substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. And the initiative really is to be able to improve access to treatment, um, and providing on-demand resources in an emergency or inpatient setting. So it, it's really to make sure that we have the the proper, um, what I would say, infrastructure in place to mm-hmm. be able to work with those people and and get them treatment right where right where we meet them there. So right. um, it's been an investment in there, but you know we haven't had to do that alone. We obviously in rural you have to partner with a lot of people right. and and you make that possible. So. We've made that a point of emphasis, and and you know to bridge off of that off of that, I'll talk a little bit about our street medicine program. So that's something also that's pretty new. Yeah. And you know a lot of people don't know this maybe, but in the Traverse City area, uh, northern Michigan, there's a pretty large homeless population. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done is we've collaborated with Traverse Health Clinic and also Goodwill of Northern Michigan to provide what we would call mobile clinics out to some of our homeless population and kind of not only helping them with addiction, but also 
maybe um, helping to manage pregnancies, mm. helping to get all sorts of care and access to care. So since we added our mobile medical unit in in the fall, last fall, we've recorded 450 patient visits roughly. Wow. And we've been able to really start working on methods to expand that. So I think it, it's pretty well documented that opioid use disorder is is pretty widespread in rural populations. And so you could see it on the map, especially in some of the rural areas uh, around Traverse City. And so we're trying to come up with, with more and better ways to yeah. really address those and to help people um, understanding that they may show up to the hospital in different ways, but mm-hmm. also maybe we could show up to them. Right. Uh, Before they're at the hospital, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. So what has the feedback been, just out of curiosity, for the mobile clinic and also the um, opioid initiative? Have you have you heard from community members? Have you received notes of appreciation from people who have been helped from the programs? It is. It's appreciated. And, you know, it still is pretty early on. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's something that's gaining traction and gaining speed. Yeah. Um, but it has been positive overall. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, we're very happy to be featuring you in the report. And I just encourage anybody who hasn't looked at this year's report to look at the many stories. Um, we have months and featured on page two, but there are many within um, that just kind of show some of that programming throughout the state. Um, rural and urban communities, uh, how our hospitals are helping. So, Lauren, anything you'd add there? Yeah, one thing that I wanted to add that um, that Peter actually made me think about as we've had some conversations through our MHA Keystone Center mm-hmm. um, with Munson and other other hospitals across the state is specific to the, the opioid work and um, trying to get to patients, obviously, before they come to um, the emergency department or the hospital and, and preventing um, any opioid uh, overdoses. In the policy space of the MHA, we've been working really hard on a new proposal to expand access to peer recovery coaches Mm -hmm. um, in the emergency department setting um, and for hospitals more broadly. And peer recovery coaches, for those that don't know, are really people that have experienced challenges um, with addiction in the past and uh, now are in recovery and have gone through the necessary training to work with with, um, other people that come in um, and are experiencing a similar challenge with addiction. Currently in Michigan, only community mental health agencies are able to get reimbursed for providing those peer recovery coach services. And we are advocating at the MHA for any peer recovery coach that is working for a a hospital to to be reimbursed for providing those services. Mm -hmm. There are 38 other states across the country um, that have already expanded their Medicaid reimbursement to allow for peer recovery coaches to be reimbursed in the emergency department setting. Um, And so we are also um, pushing to make that possible in our state as well. So I thought I would add that given the um, work that that Peter has highlighted at Munson Mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that we have a real crisis on our hands with with opioid use and substance use disorder across our state. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. We had uh, Michelle Norcross from Keystone and Marissa Natsky on the podcast a few months back to talk about that program. So anyone who hasn't um, you know, listen to that. I encourage you go back, listen, learn more about that programming and how much it's helping patients struggling with substance use disorders is really critical and has helped a lot of people mm-hmm. and saved a lot of lives. So I appreciate you bringing that up. A question that I, th- I think you both kind of touched on, but if, if you'd like to elaborate, just what are some of the unique challenges that our rural hospitals in Michigan are facing compared to their urban counterparts? Peter, if you want to kick us off. Yeah, I, you know, it's so funny because I was lost in my thought on that. <laughs> every time I could come up with something different. And, but we were talking about it a little bit before even this, and that I, I, 
I don't think it's unique to rural that we have workforce. You know, everybody has workforce issues. It gets a little magnified because, mm-hmm. again, it, it doesn't. There's only so many people that staff a hospital. So when I think of Paul Oliver Memorial Hospital, there are two nurses in the ER. That's it. Wow. Um, so it's very critical to have your nurses in the ER right. um, to make sure that, that you're able to, to see the community and provide the best for them. Mm. So you're kind of vulnerable in that sense. But the things that I see more in, in rural versus maybe a more um, urban environment is there's a little more of a, of a larger base where you could find your support groups to help support you. So if you have certain unique challenges, it may be hard to connect with people in that similar sense in, in a community and to have that local connection. Um, so there can be some challenges there. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, the advantage would be is that f- through virtual, you could find your community right. that, that you could get help with. Yeah. But again, it's kind of having that connection. So broadband or connectivity to the internet, mm-hmm. that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, so those, I, I think from from a rural perspective, you know, that's the one thing I see. The other one would be is that when you work in rural, you might be a little more multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And so an example that I would give is like with orthopedics, um, general orthopedics is probably something that will do better in a rural environment than specifically if I have this specialty. And right. so I think a lot of times um, people graduate and they have specialties mm. uh, with which they work in and they want to maintain that that level um, with that. It's difficult to find enough base to support a specific specialty in something. Right. So I think those are some of the challenges. I'll add one more. I just thought about it. <laughs> and that is, you know, when, you, when you're recruiting somebody uh, to come work at the hospital at, with anything in a rural area, you're recruiting also their significant other. Mm. And so that significant other, I'm not sure what they do for a living. And, and being able to find something for that significant other also that can make the community the place where they will select. So you have to really... Uh, work through some nuances there because there might not be that that specialty there. Right. So you don't have a single elevator pitch for working in rural health care because you have to be very specific, <laughs> right? Correct. Yeah. It's, it's not like, oh, well, I know, you know, Jan down at the corner there and, right. and they need an astrophysicist. <laughs> right. You know, like right. They, They're in high demand. looking for one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it is kind of unique. But uh, again, there's creativity and, mm-hmm. and we can find ways to... to to make it worthwhile for them, but right. you have to navigate some of those challenges. Yeah, well, it's like a, it's you're working, you're doing more with less, or you're tasked with doing more with less. But it also kind of forces you to be innovative. So I think our rural members are really mm-hmm. some of our most innovative. Um, Lauren, anything you'd add on on the side of sort of unique challenges that our rural hospitals are facing. I know you've touched on a lot of them. Yeah. The only thing that I would add, and I would actually really be interested, Peter, in your perspective on this, because I know it's variable across the state, um, but I routinely hear from our members, especially in the in the Upper Peninsula, um, about challenges with, um, with EMS and ambulances and how challenging it can be, one, to have enough EMTs and paramedics to staff the ambulances 24 hours a day, but also in rural areas, how challenging it can be to get a patient transferred to the next level of care in certain instances. 
I, I say that because I think that we, we have seen some of our rural hospitals try to really partner with each other and create innovative solutions um, for trying to get around that challenge. We certainly are seeing um, the use of air ambulances um, being used more in rural areas to get folks to um, the right level of care. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure, Peter, if you have any insights on that, given that many of the patients in the Upper Peninsula are uh, many times transferred down to to Munson for for trauma care, um, but that would be the other thing that I would add is that we we continue to see challenges with with the EMS system, mm-hmm. access to ambulances, and um, the increasing amount of time and delays that it can take to to move a patient uh, when there's an emergency. Well, that and that's a great call out because I would agree. Um, that that is a challenge. You know, we've partnered a lot with what I would say local, I won't say community colleges, but we we partnered around to try to get more education opportunities mm-hmm. to get people into that. Because mm-hmm. um, while some people choose to stay as as an EMT, some people want to rise through the ranks and mm-hmm. maybe they they develop their healthcare career. But it's mm-hmm. it's providing them with an opportunity to get the education and to get that first inroads in right. there. So we're trying to do a little bit better about getting into the schools um, mm. to get kids interested there. But it has been an issue recruiting in um, and then keeping people in that field. And it has created some delays mm-hmm. at, at getting people to the right mm-hmm. to the right facility for care. Right. Well, we do have our My Hospital Careers webpage that we, it's a campaign we launched uh, earlier this year, and it's been hugely helpful in getting the word out about healthcare positions that go beyond the hospital setting. And it's degree, they're uh, positions that don't require four year degrees, positions that um, are, are accessible, opportunities to advance in your healthcare career. So I just encourage anyone who's interested in EMS or another career path in healthcare to go check that out. We're talking about workforce. So I do want to ask you, Peter. What workforce restoration efforts are really being prioritized at, at Munson, and how are they doing? You know, I I think beyond beyond the normal, which is pay and benefits and mm-hmm. and and such, it it really is a challenge to to pull a, a team together and to to get people into healthcare because uh, I think there's been a lot of I, I think there's been some negative press. There's been positive press, but there's also been negative press with healthcare. It's super rewarding to be in healthcare and to know that every day you go into work, regardless what you're doing, you're actually making a difference uh, for the better in your community. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we're recognizing a little bit is beyond beyond those things such as pay and benefits and, and working through those, there's also aspects of, of mental health. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's being able to understand, okay, what what are the things that we can do to help support our team better right. in that realm. And we're really trying to deep dive on that. So we have teams pulling together to really identify and work with, here's some here's some ideas that we have, best mm-hmm. avenues. Because I think traditionally we looked at it where it's like pizza party yeah. and things like <laughs> that. And there's nothing, I love pizza. Right. Um, Hawaiian, please. Okay. So, I, you know, but... I think it goes beyond that. And it's right. trying it to understand to. what are the things that maybe they need outside. Mm-hmm. I'm spending so much of, of me here. Boy, I could use help raking my yard or, or you know, but daycare access is an issue. Like understanding what those pressure points are and, and meeting them there. And, you know, I was just sharing with you guys before this that so at, at Munson Medical Center, we, we are really light 
on the number of people working in our dietary department. Mm -hmm. So leadership has taken up volunteer shifts Mm -hmm. to deliver trays to help share some of the load there with with that team. And while it it may not be the biggest thing in the world, it's an effort to try to say, we don't want to just have you work all these extra shifts or do all these extra hours. We'll we'll volunteer and, and do some shifts with you. Right. So I, those are some of the things that we're we're really trying to to look at and get deeper into. Right. Well, I know for rural hospitals, a lot of the time, the thing that is so appealing is the camaraderie that you have with your community, but also your coworkers. And I think seeing someone like you volunteering alongside your teams is huge, and I, I'm sure it means a lot to the the people who work under you. So appreciate you mentioning that, and I know you're headed that way after this. So, Lauren. I want to close out with just a question for you of how can our elected officials and the general public support and uplift the work of rural hospitals? That's a loaded question, but uh, what would you say? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Lucy. I would say, number one, it's it's so important for Michiganders to continue having conversations with your, your local elected officials. Um, so reach out to those in your district that are that are tasked with representing you. Have conversations about the importance of the rural hospital in your community. We we know that rural hospitals are not only critical to community well-being and uh, have tons of community benefits to offer, but they're also a significant economic driver in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that there are, based on some surveys that the MHA did, we know that there's 81,000 total jobs that are connected to rural um, Michigan from healthcare, and that's a, a significant driver for the the economic well-being of a community. We know that there are 121 total workers in and associated with the rural healthcare sector in rural Michigan. So again, huge uh, drivers in terms of sustaining local communities. So lift up if you live in a rural area um, the importance of your of your hospital and what it means not only to your ability to access care uh, where and when you need it, but also uh, the role that it plays in making sure that you have a, a, a stable and vibrant community surrounding you. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would share, uh, there have been, there's been a package of bills introduced in the legislature around um, mandated nurse staffing ratios. And I think it's important for anyone listening to know how harmful that legislation, if passed, would be for our rural hospitals in particular. I think people immediately kind of uh, start thinking about large urban hospitals when they think about mandated nurse staffing ratios. But this would have a, a significant impact on our um, rural hospitals and rural residents in particular. We surveyed 109 Michigan hospitals across the state, um, and we know that if the legislation were to be passed, Michigan would be at risk of losing up to 5,100 hospital beds. And from a rural perspective, that loss in statewide capacity would be the same as if all of the hospitals north of Grand Rapids and Flint closed. So those are some of our most rural areas of our state that would really be directly impacted. Um, so continue sharing your feedback with your um, with local officials um, about the potentially harmful effects that that legislation could have on rural health care in particular, and really just continue to have that that conversation with with your lawmakers mm-hmm. um, about the importance of, of rural health care. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you mentioning that, and we're going to include resources in the episode's description uh, if you're interested in learning more about how you can get involved on the nurse staffing legislation. Peter, is there anything you would add? You know, I, I mean, I, again, Lauren nailed it here. So I 
You know, I think that if you look at us in the rural aspect, a lot of times we're the sole um, provider in these communities, and, and it might be for a far-reaching area. So things that, that may seem like small impacts to healthcare could actually be quite large. So I, I think it's, again, staying in front of our elected officials and, and being aware of, of, of what's happening in the hospitals and, and what may impact us and, and voicing out. That's important to know. I think the other one is broadband. Sometimes, you, you know, it doesn't have to be healthcare specific. It could be infrastructure specific. And in turn, that can actually help hospitals to really reach out to people that are in very, very rural areas right? and, and make connections there and, and help them to manage their health better. So I think there there's a multiple of things here. And the MHA has been really great at communicating out what I would say clear and concise messages to our elected officials. Appreciate you mentioning that. Well, I want to thank you both for being here. Um, I, I think this has been a really insightful conversation and it helps so much to have the perspective of one of our rural members. So thank you so much, Peter. Um, and thank you, Lauren. I, I appreciate your expertise on the council side and also just the background that you have in this space. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. With that, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in and encourage you head to the description of the episode to learn more about National Rural Health Day, Months in Healthcare, the work of our small and rural hospital council, and the nurse staffing legislation that Lauren mentioned. You can also visit MHA.org or MICareMatters.org if you're interested in seeing more stories from our 2023 Community Benefit Report. And for any members listening, um, we encourage you to reach out if you have those strong examples, uh, as Peter mentioned, from Munson Healthcare or other organizations of how your hospital is helping the community. Thanks again and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the My Care Champion Cast. To learn more or get involved, visit MHA.org. 